Oh, pardon me, madam. Do you have any grey poupon? Oh, you silly homosexual. Of course I do. I'm very wealthy, you know. Gaylords of Darkness presents... Geese to Peace Theatre! Here we are. In a new skin suit. What is this? What is this place? I don't understand. The Gaylord <laughs> Manor looks so much more Dickensian. <laughs> more Dickensian and a little fancier, I would say. Much fancier, absolutely. Anthony, this is Gaze to Peace Theatre. Oh, hello. Wherein we, the Gay Lords of Darkness, yes. uh, venture out from yes. the confines of horror. Yes, a horror. To talk about uh, non-horror films. Oh! Peak our interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess this will be a thing we do sometimes. There's no set schedule. When we feel like it. It is when the mood strikes, when the film strikes a mood. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that we have a surplus of time on our hands right now. <laughs> nothing to do that... We am now in my third day, fourth day of captivity. Yep. <laughs> Losing my mind. Um, all of the food that I bought to last throughout the quarantine time. Gone. Gone in an hour. <laughs> I did not know that the Trader Joe's honey wheat pretzel sticks were so delicious. I had no idea that vegetables were so delicious. Just, mm. I've turned into a maniac. Mmm. Yeah, you punish those vegetables. <laughs> I didn't say I turned into a sex criminal. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that you're fucking the Brussels sprouts. You're just like Yes, you were. I could tell. Them. You know, you're just punishing them. Like little, little, oh, little, little wrist cuffs for Brussels sprouts. Huh? They don't have wrists. Stacy, why do you have to go? And shit on my dreams. <laughs> That's what I do. I know the times they are changing and we're going through uncertainty and all that. However, if I, if I want Brussels sprouts to have wrists. Fine. You and all right, veggie tails. Your vegetables can have whatever <laughs> you want them to have. My, my Christian. <laughs> your Christian S&M an vegetables. <laughs> your Christian S&M anthropomorphized vegetables. <laughs> me Fine. <laughs> oh evolution is a lie <laughs> does it know blood of the lamb blood of the lamb blood of the lamb <laughs> praise be to the infant of Prague <laughs> oh my gosh well okay so, so this podcast this companion podcast we'll call it Basically, it's the same show, it seems like. Right? Yeah, if this is, if you are a listener who is tuning into this because of the movie that we're going to talk about, if you mm -hmm. don't regularly listen to Gaylords of Darkness, um, I would like to apologize in advance and also apologize for the three minutes that have come before this. <laughs> we are very, very sorry. Sincerely, the management. Yeah, Gaylords of Darkness is about horror films. Um as we are of the homosexual persuasion. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we talk about actual queer horror films, or we just talk about horror films and decide that they're queer anyway, because as we all know, horror 
is inherently queer. It's queer art form, baby. Um, and so the, but sometimes we watch movies that fall outside the genre and we want to talk about them. In these trying times, people are going to get desperate enough that they'll listen to anything. So it's really going to be our time to shine. I'd like to think so. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, I could not be more excited for this. I could not either to talk about this movie. We, so we, I mean, even before the level 10,000 quarantine that we're all under, like we uh, have been talking about this for quite some time. Yes. And and honestly, this like offshoot program, like there's been several films that we've really wanted to talk about, like in, in addition to at another time, such as and as well as. But this film was the one that really launched the, okay, we have to do it because this film... I mean, it's I broken mean, us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it's broken us. Um, I, we've mentioned it several times on Gaylords of Darkness, and some listeners have mentioned that they watched it because we mentioned it. And I just want to shout about it from the hilltops to get everybody to see this film. Yeah, yeah. Stacy um, took a trip. I took a trip. To the other side of the manor. Yeah. Which, granted, is very is decked out in all kinds of Dickensian flair right now. But took a trip <laughs> to the other wing so that we could watch this film together. Yeah, like because she waited I, months. To, I waited months to see. I I had seen I had seen the screener, and um, it ruined me completely. And I thought I want to see. I want Anthony has to see this film, but I would like to share that experience with them. Mm-hmm. And so I took a trip, a very long, arduous journey. <laughs> 16 hour trip. It took six, 16 hours. What would be like an eight hour flight usually? Yeah. Because um, you did it. So yeah. God had to punish you. Yeah. Um, and so we saw it, not in the best circumstances, but we saw it together. Yes. And then came home and it showed up in theaters here. And I've gone, I don't know how many times to see it. I don't know how many times, because here's what happened. The first time I saw this movie, I said it ruined me. It basically dismantled me. Uh, I became, once again, a puddle of primordial ooze Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from whence I had originally come. As I was reconstituted, I think I became like a brundle fly. (laughs) Except it's me and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. (laughs) We fused together into a hideous abomination. <laughs> Strange hairs growing everywhere. Just, I just want everybody to see this movie. That's all. As but I do feel knows that's what this film does to people. It really does. Like I don't. I know that I've talked about Suspiria. When so so many just you just, yeah <laughs> just a couple times about the okay. 2018 Suspiria and oh, how God. that felt like a. A religious experience for sure and i had never experienced that before in a movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yet still portrait of a lady on fire has literally changed me i think well <clears throat> i think the thing is when you talk about uh it dismantling you um i think that's what this film does this i mean this film is a is an act of um 
I don't know if it's as much an act of dismantling as much as like remantling <laughs> or mantling for the first time in the correct way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is a, a decolonized feminist reclaiming of cinema. It really is. It's a manifesto and it's a brilliant, brilliant, beautiful, gorgeous, lush, incredible film. Yeah, it's uh, that's the thing is so much of the discourse around the film is about the romance itself. Ugh. And <laughs> yeah, I'm not sorry. I'm not like I'm not like the kids that I teach who are like all aromantic today, which fine. If that's your choice, I appreciate that. Good. We don't. Sex is a waste of time, like Valerie Solana said. However, uh, I just mean this movie. It's so much. I I almost can't think of it as a romance even. Right. I mean, while the, I do. I, I think the romance is worthy of a huge conversation because it's different than anything I've seen before, even in that regard. It's absolutely different. It's pushing new boundaries. It's doing new things and saying new things. But this film is about so much more than that, Mm -hmm. that to just focus on the romance feels like, I don't know, getting a whole big pizza and only taking one bite. Absolutely. Like, the romance is like a little um, a little aperitif in the middle of this delicious <laughs> right. multi-course yeah. Um, banquet. Yeah. It's devastating. Like, the entire film is devastating. Like, this film makes me so profoundly sad and so profoundly angry. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, sometimes I've it firsthand. You, you honestly, you have like, and I don't. Sometimes I don't know what to do with those emotions, especially the anger. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I take that and make it productive? I think. Well, I mean, I guess the call for the film is to make art. Yeah. Well, for sure. Right. For sure. It, yeah. That, that's oh. I think that's something that really drew us in with Suspiria, too, was that as artists, we were watching a film, a horror film about art making. Yes. Um, which is really rare. And I mean, a lot of a lot of just even work about art making or, or films or theater or things like that. Uh, it, it like it usually goes like kind of the biopic route or you get like the tortured soul that makes the work, you know, and it but you never really explore it, it's not a lot of like, God, I'm going to sound like such an art school asshole, but like you, they don't really explore like process or what actually goes into the work itself. Right. And Whereas, so it's usually it's it's like you said, the, the, the portrait of the tortured genius or it's the finished product. That is the point. Yes. And both Suspiria and this, especially Portrait of a Lady on Fire, are about the process of creating and what that is and what it means and what it's like yeah to the point that i mean this film is all process yeah um and and in in doing so and being all process it's uh it it also lays a a blueprint for um i don't know it's that's like i think it's like a call like it's like yeah uh, remember me survive me remake me make make create um right yeah yeah, well, I do, when I say I'm not sure what to do with these emotions, especially the anger, because, you know, we'll get into, like, what the anger is and where it comes from. In this <laughs> and film? what's the cause of it. In this film. In this uh, film? In this film. Um, but, you know, I honestly try to bear in mind one of the lines from the film, which is, don't regret. Re- yep. Remember. Yep. 
That's why I go, and I mean, we will go also go into this, but I, I so go back and forth because I see um, the sadness and I see the tragedy and the devastation of the story uh, and the implications for all the stories that are implied throughout this film that we don't get to see or know about anymore um, and that are still masked and invisibilized. But like, I also see it as a really beautiful, thoughtful tribute to all those yeah. stories. Um, and, and, and I think that blueprint or whatever becomes a means to help us ensure that that doesn't continue to happen. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think it somehow manages to do both at once. Which is challenging. How are you, how Which can is you challenging. be both tragic and devastating, but also profoundly hopeful and, and resigned? Um, right. Yeah. So, okay. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think, Stacy. If you can do it, because I know I know you get the feels about this film, which really rightfully do. so, rightfully so, because I mean, one could argue <laughs> this is the first time a film has been made exclusively for Stacey Ponder. I mean, finally, here I, I as I enter into the twilight of my years, <laughs> right? Uh, as I enter into what is surely my eighth or ninth decade. At this point, uh, like <laughs> I, 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 as like a gay woman, right? We've talked about this on our show plenty of times about no <laughs> about well, this could be someone's first episode. You never know. Yeah. Um. But we've talked about on our show so many times about uh, representation and visibility and how important these things are and how you know growing up there just ain't wasn't shit. anything. There ain't <laughs> shit. There wasn't shit. <laughs> You know, and in two, 2015, Carol came along. Yep. And it was, like, the first time I had ever gotten a film like that. That film is, like, this is the thing. is like, this Portrait of Lady on Fire, I feel like I've neglected Carol. <laughs> because this movie has blown me away so much. Um, um, sorry. This just reminds me of when we watched the film. And you were... After we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire with our friends Heather and Ami, which was an amazing experience watching this film sandwiched between crying lesbians, which is the only thing I've ever <laughs> wanted in my life. Um, when you immediately started to, I'm not going to say talk shit about Carol, but you were like critiquing Carol's use of, uh, you know, mommy's baby. <laughs> Yeah, and they were like, "Hold on, Stacy, you bought the mommy's baby prop from the film. You own the thing you're critiquing." I know, I know. Carol does fall into several like tropey sort of things that are. I I find them in Carol. Like, I think the point I was trying to make is like, I love Carol so much that its use of like the weird power dynamic and the like is it a mommy fixation and then that mommy's baby sign in the store where Therese works and it's and Therese looks just like Carol's fucking five-year-old daughter you know what I mean it's kind of like I love it in that film particularly because it's there's something it's like you feel like Todd Haynes was doing it on purpose yeah you know, it was a little kind of pervy or a little yeah. winky, winky to the gay crowd or something. But also, like, that's kind of nice. Like, you know, to, when women's sexuality is denied so much. Right. That just to say, like, oh, yeah, Carol is daddy. Basically. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But just that is a trope in the in the 
LGBT film genre. It's like, yeah, you know, that sort of the age difference, the May December kind of thing, or the coming out story, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, they all and do that. They all do that. And then along comes Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And it's like, I thought Carol was the apex of lesbian cinema. And here comes a film that like transcends it in ways I could not even conceive. I couldn't look at Carol and say, well, but what if we had this kind of movie instead? So this Mm -hmm. movie just completely blindsided me, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think this is not to say that um, we do not find value in films like Carol or oh, of course. Suspiria. I think those are still going to be so high up on the list, right? It's, Absolutely. It's just like now to see that what happened with Carol or what happened with Suspiria, that these, or what happened with the witch, you know, even just the timeline between mm-hmm. the witch to Suspiria, to see that these stories, just the mere existence of them is pr- creating space to begin to create like thought experiments and forms of storytelling that kind of go down these routes where it just avalanches more and more this is basically it's the gay agenda we're getting the gay agenda (laughs) yeah finally i mean you would hope that in the art form that there would be an evolution right like there there has been an evolution when i look at the things i watched when i was a kid and it's like who was a formative lesbian for me as a youth uh pippi longstocking Like Joe Poldacek from The Facts of Life. Like, you know, these characters that weren't actually gay, but something in you would be like, you would recognize some coding or something like, you know what I mean? And there's been an evolution since then. I think I just didn't expect such an evolution, such a sharp incline in such a short period of time. I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, from 2015 to 2020. But then again, time has completely... uh... Yeah, fractured. Then again, I wouldn't think that I would be concerned about my amount of quarantine snacks. But here we are. This is 2020, (laughs) folks. Lo, life has changed. Lo, life has, verily, life has changed. (laughs) And it's funny, too, to talk about uh, Portrait as a film that um, rejects the tropes of gay films or surpasses them or doesn't need to draw on them at all. Uh, I think that's what's really beautiful about this film and shocking and that moves it past the the genre of like gay or queer romance um yes to being so much more like i just saw um i just saw and then we danced in the theater it might be who knows the last movie i'll see in the theater for a while at this rate but and then we danced it's a gay georgian film based around georgian dance and it was beautiful it was stunning it was thoughtful it was sweet um but it still fell into the the, some of the tropes that I, I find, like that there's the coming out story, there's the tempestuous love where the one of the lovers, you know, turns away and is is conflicted. And then there's the, the very call me by your name, like here's the young woman that is in love with the main boy but is being led on. Um, and in that film, they in, 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 in And Then We Dance, they make it work and it's really uh, more activated by the fact that it is set in Georgia where it, like this this in and in the georgian dance world where it's all about masculinity and so the film really becomes about rejecting that so these tropes make sense there but they still exist in every freaking gay film and portrait Mm -hmm. of a lady on fire it it just it shirks every single expectation you have (laughs) because yeah it 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 continuously does 
exactly the thing. It's like when you watch the ending of The Witch for the first time and you're blown away that it, they were so brave to make that choice. And not brave like you're so brave, but but actually brave where they're doing something that has not been done in film and in a gay right. story mm-hmm. or in a feminist story. Like, like how I felt. I mean, it's a Disney movie, but how I felt when, you know, Maleficent discovers that it's not the prince that has to kiss Sleeping Beauty. It's Maleficent because that's the actual love story. So it's mm-hmm. like when they make these choices where you're just like, I'm watching this. Someone actually made this. Right. Yeah. I know. I think I think this film is just made with such intelligence and thought and care mm-hmm. that it's very deliberate. Like the point of the film, like one of the points of the film is to buck all of those trends and show a new kind of relationship and a new kind of love story yep you know and in the process i mean it's a new kind of film it's 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 a new kind of film i've never seen anything like it i have never seen a film that speaks to my experience at least i'm not going to speak for everybody but to like the lesbian sensibility mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> something that you've been saying that really impacted me when you were speaking about it was um that it captures like not just I've heard people say, you know, that it depowers the fem- the male gaze or critiques it. And then I've heard people say that it institutes a female gaze. And then I've heard a lesbian gaze. But I think what you've said that really hit me was um, that this captures lesbian consciousness. Yeah, it really does. I think it like and I think that comes from having, you know, a lesbian writer, director, a lesbian lead actor. Oh. Um, when you look at the credits of this film... I've never seen more women's names listed on the mm-hmm. credits of a film. It's like this film is so incredibly, so quietly transgressive. It's really smart. It's, it's really, really smart, and it's smart. it's it's like it. I mean, to keep going back to the the classics that we really love that have gotten us to this point, f- filmically in terms of the chronology and the in the landscape of film. Suspiria, you know, is such a smart, smart, smart film that is so packed. It's it's densed with text and with yes. history and with details. Um, and not to critique Suspiria, but like, but it 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 presents that denseness. Like it it is a lot of people don't see it, but all the clues are there. Right. Um. This film. And and yet, I would say Suspiria is still subtle with it sometimes. Like, this film, though, is 1,000 times more subtle. There it's are, so subtle. There are so many gigantic political statements and, and romantic um, gestures and things that would otherwise could easily go completely missed on a first view. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think a lot of people haven't had, like... A lot of people come to this film expecting this, like titanic romance <laughs> kind of right. thing yeah yeah um and then they walk out of it thinking well i don't get what was so special about that i've heard that read from people which i just don't understand yeah I, but like this movie does so much in ways that like it's not hitting you over the head with gobs and gobs and gobs of dialogue yeah you know what i mean like it's, it's, it's image it's, it's primarily in tableaus it's yeah um, yeah it says a lot with absolutely no dialogue you know which to me is 
I just speaks to the quality of filmmaking and and the direction and I think more than anything the sense of collaboration in the film it very much feeds feels like a, a collaborative project yes um, and that it it's women saying how do we how do we tell a story in a way that a story hasn't been told before and how do we um, how do we how do we how do we represent ourselves kind of for the first time? Yes. Yes. And I think what's remarkable is the fact that um, it's that sentiment, those sentiments are also one of the major points of the film itself. Yes. That like when you talked about the new Black Christmas and how a character in the film talks about, oh, our college curriculum doesn't have any gay or trans whatever, whatever. And then mm-hmm. it's like in the larger narrative of the film, okay, the film doesn't have any gay or trans characters either. Yep. It's like making a point through your dialogue, like giving your character something to say, but not putting that sentiment into practice. And I think yeah. Portrait is one of the very few films that practices what it preaches, I guess. Portrait is not an armchair activist. Right. Like this, I mean, if if The Exorcist had a demon in the film itself, as Billy Graham said, <laughs> Portrait is, I mean, well, she's lesbian, so the film is composting already. Like, she's got compost in the film. Um, but like, it, it is, it is, it is a manifesto. It's, it's, a, and it, it's so funny because it's also, um, it's, it's a work of art. It's a work of cinema. It's a, it's a historical text. It's a period piece, but it's also entirely self-aware and like, I would argue meta to a degree. Oh yeah. Um, because it is, it is revisionist history, but it's also not. Right. It's, it's a, it's an act of reclaiming, um, something that has never been given voice before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That people aren't aware of. Yeah, and in a with a very modern sensibility, but about something that is timeless and universal and has existed throughout time, but just never we don't have a record for it. And the film is also about that. Mm-hmm. While challenging that, it's yeah. It's there's so many. When I one of the times I saw this at the theater, the people ahead of me, it was like an older straight couple. Like, this is the thing with films like this, is it's like, you might get some gays, at least here at the theater, you'll get some gays in the audience, but the bulk of the audience is, like, the NPR crowd. The, like, 65-year-old straight NPR listeners who heard about this film, you know? Mm -hmm. So they buy their tickets, and they're like, oh, you know, we heard about this film, and we've been... And the girl behind the counter was like, yeah, I went to see it on the preview night, and it was really packed and everything, and, and it's, um... Well, I don't want to spoil anything. It's very strange. <laughs> that was her. That's what. That's all she said. Oh, it's very strange. I've, I mean, I've heard. I've heard similar sentiments from like people in the theater too. Yeah. Back at my at my theater. Yeah. So I'm like, we haven't seen. I mean, I I get it to some degree, and that like it does certain things and tells certain stories that we've never seen before. But also, it's like, it's not that strange. I guess if you're if you're just expecting a romance, sad or happy, if you have expectations of these two characters are going to fall in love, hooray or wah wah, it's sad at the end they don't get together or whatever. Well, and 
people connect people uh, okay i need to speak more honestly straight people (laughs) consume our stories or stories that are Mm -hmm. said to be our stories um in search of universality and in search of finding a um a sort of uh, empathic connection or sympathy or something to connect them to us more right um I don't know if that's the function of a lot of gay films that have been made before, but that is how they function for straight people is they become empathy machines to then be like, oh, they are like us. I remember being giddy over someone that I had a crush on once. Right. Um, This film is not for them, to be honest. Right. Like this is of this film draw, like you said, bringing in a lesbian consciousness to this film has a very special specific target viewer yes um and a very specific story to tell that does not belong to anybody or everybody like this the story is something that i think you would have to be at very least gay or queer or a woman Mm -hmm. to to really latch onto the themes here and sometimes it looks like you also if you're if you're a woman you also have to be a gay woman to get this film yeah, I really zero in on its messages. I don't understand how women, gay, straight, whatever, could watch this and not feel that anger. I think all women should have to. Like, <laughs> not should have to, but you know. But it's it surprising like to it's me. It's a woman's story. Yeah, it's woman's history. It's it's <laughs> really it's a it's for all marginalized stories. But I think the. The terms that are being used, I mean, like, it's it, there is a, a very lesbian lens to this film. Yes. Um, I, I think also people disconnect from artists. Uh, so they, they're like, oh, there's the idea of the, the artist as genius, but also the artist as, like, untouchable creator thing that is inaccessible. Mm-hmm. They're just a, they're just something that the muse or the 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 force moves through them and they create something and look at how great they are because they channeled this thing into existence and this film also rejects that idea yeah it completely dismantles that um before we go any further stacy huh <laughs> can can you set up portrait of a lady on fire for us uh, i feel like you are very much if you can get through it um well there's a framing narrative first of all uh, where we meet Marianne, who is an instructor in an art class for young women. Um, she is posing for the young women. One of them has pulled a painting out of the stocks, and Marianne is visibly upset. Um, the painting she painted a long time ago, and it's called Portrait of a Lady on Fire, because, you know, Portrait of a Lady, etc., etc. Then we see... Uh, then the framing narrative ends and we go, it's 1770 and Marianne is in a boat on her way to an island in Brittany. Um, she is has been commissioned to paint a marriage portrait of Heloise, a young noblewoman who refused to sit for the painter who was there before uh, because Heloise refuses the marriage. And the painting is basically a betrothal gift. If the fiancé likes it, then fine, we're going to get married. She refuses the marriage. And so Marianne has been hired uh, to paint Heloise without Heloise knowing. Um, Heloise thinks that Marianne is a walking companion. They're to spend their time together, walking the beaches, um, and Marianne will paint in secret. 
Um, Eloise is stuck with this marriage because her sister was the one who was due to marry. But her sister died recently after most likely throwing herself off of a cliff, which is why Eloise needs a walking companion. Um, so as to make sure that she won't do the same to make sure that she won't do the same. So Marianne has five days, I believe it is, to paint this portrait. They spend their days walking together. Marianne is observing Eloise. They make small talk. Um, things are fine. They slowly open up to one another. Uh, Marianne has difficulty painting Eloise. She does the best that she can with her instruction, which is basically like, this is how you paint a person. Um, as someone who went to an art academy, I know what that is like. Yeah. There was no room for, oh, I feel like making the ear all whimsical. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, we studied anatomy. There were measurements. It's like, this is how you draw a human being. It's a science. It's a science. And that's what Marianne is doing the best. And granted, she's doing a terrific job, really, all things considered. Um, mm -hmm. But she remarks to Sophie, the uh, serving girl. She remarks, oh, Sophie. I love Sophie. She, re too. she remarks to her, um, you know, it's a very difficult time. Um, I haven't even seen her smile yet. I haven't seen Eloise smile. And Sophie says, have you tried being funny? <laughs> Which is such a big thing. Then we'll get to that. But anyway, uh, they slowly open up to one another. Uh, Marianne is not going to get married because she's going to inherit her father's business. He was a portrait painter. He painted Eloise's mother, and that's how Marianne got this gig in the first place. Um, when she, when Marianne talks with the mother and says, I'm having a difficult time, the mother says, okay, uh, tomorrow you can paint all day, and I will, Eloise can stay home, and Marianne convinces her to let Eloise go out for a walk by herself. What an amazing thing. So Eloise goes because she wants to go to mass to sing at the cast. See, I'm getting all garbled. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I don't want to just talk for 20 minutes about this. But anyway, Eloise uh, has left the con Eloise left the convent um, to come home and get married. She was taken out of the convent. Um, and she, one of her favorite things at the convent was that she could go to mass to hear singing and to sing. She could, that was the only place she got to hear music. And Marianne tries to impart um, her experiences going to the orchestra. And so Eloise wants her to describe music to her. And so Marianne sits at the harpsichord and plays Vivaldi for her. And you see Eloise practically shooting hearts out of her eyes. <laughs> and you say to yourself, I bet those two ladies are going to fall in love. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, indeed, things continue. Um, the next day, Eloise says, you know, being alone was great, but I missed you. And there's a wonderful shot of where you can see Marianne experience a serious bout of gay panic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that they are both starting to feel things. Uh, she finishes the portrait and um, the mother is dying to see this portrait and get this marriage on the way. But Marianne insists on showing Eloise herself and telling her the truth because Eloise, their friendship has been forming um, and she wants to, she feels guilty. She wants to tell Eloise what's up. And so she does. And Eloise is upset by all of this, obviously, and says, uh, 
that explains all of your looks. Mm. They were... <sighs> it's so devastating. That part gets me Yeah. so much. It always gets me. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, she shows Eloise the painting, and Eloise is um, not impressed with this painting. Yeah, she's like, that's supposed to be me? Yeah, she's like, that's how you see me? And Marianne tries to argue that, like, you know, well, it's me, but it's also my years of training. This is how you paint a person. And as Eloise says, you know, so it doesn't have any life to it. Like, it doesn't capture me, and I understand that because you don't know me very well. But there's nothing of you in this painting either. It doesn't capture any anything inherent to you. And uh, Marianne says, well, I didn't know you were an art critic. And Eloise says, I didn't know you were a painter. <laughs> and everyone in the audience gasps at that point. She throws down the mic. <laughs> she throws down the mic and walks out. Um, as she goes to fetch her mother, Marianne destroys the painting. Um, she's very upset. The mother is very upset because she thought this painting was finished and here it is ruined. Marianne says, I will start over. The mom says, no, you're good. You can leave now. And then Eloise says, no, she should stay. I will pose for her. Which is, uh... Well, we'll get to it. So the mother mm -hmm. is going off on a little trip. She will be back in five days and the portrait must be finished. Um, and so, you know, Eloise is going to sit for her portrait. Um, Marianne gets her period and goes to Sophie, who heats up some cherry stones uh, as like a heating pad for her and remarks that she hasn't needed the cherry stones because she hasn't gotten her period in several months. Oof. Sophie is pregnant. So from that point, Marianne and Eloise help Sophie try to induce a miscarriage through all of these, you know, sort of old wives' tale Z's sort of, you know, run, in, run back and forth a lot and drink this herb soup and dangle mm -hmm. from the rafters, like any way they can think of to try to get this done. Um, with the patriarchy out of the way, like signified by the mother, with the sort of class system dismantled, the three women sort of immediately become an egalitarian feminist art collective. <laughs> yep. Like immediately without discussing it. This is what happens when society breaks down. Everyone turns into a fucking art commune. <laughs> yeah. Or at least the women do. Yeah. Who knows? Um, oh, yeah. That's an important point to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Marianne and Eloise continue to grow closer as Eloise poses. Um, at one point, after they've tried to help Sophie, Eloise is sleeping and Marianne gets her... Gets her charcoal in her paper and she's sketching Eloise as she sleeps not to study her but just because she wants to and Eloise wakes up and I'm telling you that's a point of no return the yep. way they're looking at each other it's incredible yep. um, as, you know as they're posing basically Marianne uh, Eloise throws a wrench into she basically dismantles everything Marianne knew Eloise is the one posing for the portrait. She is the object, you know? Marianne points out all of these things she does. When you're nervous, you do the, you bite your lip. When you're upset, you don't blink, all of that. 
And Eloise calls her, calls Marianne over to her side and says, while I'm sitting here and you're looking at me, who am I looking at? She's looking back at Marianne. She is looking at her just as much as she's being looked at. Hmm. Completely sort of dismantling the idea of, you know, the muse of yep. the object that has no, that might as well be a still life sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, completely dismantles all of that. And the idea of the author. And the idea of the author. Oh, it's God, it's so good. Um, the win- <laughs> <laughs> Then comes um, a big scene where um, it turns out, well, they're going to go see the local midwife to see if they have managed to get rid of Sophie's pregnancy or not. And so uh, at night they go to a bonfire where all women of the island have gathered and um, the midwife tells Sophie that she's still pregnant and she needs to come back in two days if she wants to take care of it. And it's honestly one of the most moving, electrifying scenes I've seen, certainly in recent years, if not ever, um, where the women all begin to sing. And Marianne and Eloise are looking at each other across the fire and are completely besotted with one another. It's just magic, that scene. In the theater, I I hope, I hope you know, that theaters get back up and running sooner. You can safely get to a theater once this is out of the way. And if people can experience this scene in the theater if they haven't already. Because this scene, electrifying is absolutely right. I turn to you... And I mean, I read this bonfire as a witch's Sabbath. I oh, turned for to you sure. and I was like, you did not tell me there were fucking witches in this movie. <laughs> I deliberately and held that back. I know. And then I flashed back to when we were driving back from the coast and uh, we were driving with our friend Heather, who we also watched it with later. And then Heather wanted to talk about it. And Heather goes, oh, but Stacy, that par around the fire. And then you hissed in the seat and hissed audibly at Heather to not to retain my purity yeah so that I could experience that fresh thank you I thought it deserved a fresh look I because it was so shocking to me as such a big Suspiria stan as such a witch stan that I, I was, the first time I saw that scene, I mean, every time I see that scene, but the first time I saw it, I was so moved and so fucking blown away by it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if anyone else that I know is going to really appreciate that, it's going to be Anthony. And I wanted that to be a surprise. That was one thing that I did not, I mean, I tried not to tell you very much specific about it, but I was like, I'm not going to mention that it has witch vibes at all. I was blown away. I don't know how you did that, Stacey, because you waited like two months. I know. <laughs> I love this and movie. And all you've wanted to do in that time and since is talk about this movie. I rightfully know. so. It's true. Uh, how did I hold out? I guess how I... Did any, how did society hold out How did this? society hold out? I don't know. I don't know. So the day after the bonfire is where, I mean, after those bonfire vibes, Eloise and Marianne can't hold it in anymore. They have their first kiss. Eloise gets scared and runs away. Mm -hmm. Marianne is upset. She begins to be haunted by a vision of Eloise in a white gown. Um, 
which comes from the night before the bonfire. They were taught, Eloise was reading a, the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice to them, and they were all discussing. If you don't know Orpheus and Eurydice, Eurydice died. Orpheus went to the underworld to try to convince them to give her back, and he was such a great speaker and so persuasive that they said, okay, she can return with you on one condition, that as you leave the underworld, you do not turn around and look at her. And as they're leaving, Orpheus turns around and Eurydice is, you know, stopped. She falls back to the underworld. They have their goodbye and that's the end. And the three women, Marianne, Eloise, and Sophie debate this. Like, what is this fucking movie, right? Like they're debating this uh. myth and what it means. And why does, why does he turn around if he knows that that's the one condition to have his wife be with him, he can't turn around, and yet he does. And uh, Sophie is just upset. Like, what a stupid fucker. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> like, he knew that he shouldn't do it, and he did it anyway. How selfish of him. Yeah, she calls him selfish. She calls him selfish. Uh, Marianne says, like, first of all, maybe he couldn't control himself. He was in love. But ultimately, he decides that he will keep the memory of her instead of having her with him. Um, he makes the poet's choice, not the lover's choice. Mm. He'll keep the memory. And Eloise says, or maybe she's the one who told him to turn around. Uh. And so uh, Marianne begins to be haunted by these visions of Eloise in a white gown, which because remember, there's a framing narrative and all that we're seeing unfold is Marianne's memories. Yes, yeah, this is all backstory. This is all backstory. So that night, um, Eloise had run away after they kissed, but that night Eloise is waiting in Marianne's room, and the two of them finally consummate this. Finally! And when they start consummating, they just don't stop. (laughs) 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 And that's kind of... And then, uh, so the next day is uh, the day of Sophie's abortion. There's another... They go back to the midwife's. And um, she, you know, mixes up a concoction and performs an abortion on Sophie. And Marianne turns away from it. And Eloise tells her to look, to watch what's going on. And I've seen audience members get visibly upset at this scene. Even though you don't see it, it's not graphic. There's no nudity. There's no gore. There's no nothing. It's like, but just the fact that it's happening. And I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. Someone left the theater when I saw it. Wow. Wow. Movie's transgressive, man. Mm-hmm. So uh, they perform the abortion that night. Uh, Eloise is really disturbed by something, um, and then she ends up getting Sophie out of bed, setting up a tableau. She tells Marianne, "Get your things. We're going to paint." Oh my god! <laughs> and she recreates the scene in the midwife's house, and Marianne paints it. Yeah, they full-on model for it. They full-on model for it. Eloise pulls the bed out in front of the fire, makes Sophie, who is recovering from her abortion, get up and lay down on this bed and start and get her legs up and start modeling. Eloise uh, models herself as the abortionist. It's amazing. It's fucking incredible. It's fucking incredible. Um, so time is starting to run out. The mother is going to return 
Eloise and Marianne are just fucking whenever they can. <laughs> Basically just spending <laughs> all of the time that Eloise isn't posing. They're just in bed together. Um, Eloise busts out uh, a concoction she got from one, one of the women at the bonfire. She comes home from the bonfire with some drugs. It's motherfucking flying ointment. It's flying ointment. Another thing I didn't tell you. Because the witch vibes just keep, just continue on and on. Yeah. They bust out motherfucking flying ointment. Yeah. It'll make you fly. It'll make time last longer. And they so have more time together. So they have more time together. So they end up taking these psychotropic drugs that are applied through the armpit, which is really funny. Yeah, lots of fingering armpits. Which is really like another sort of... It's funny, I think. It's cheeky. Um, it's a nod to people who want an explicit sex scene. Is that there is a, a close-up oh of Eloise penetrating marianne's armpit and for a split second you're not sure if it's arms like an armpit or if it's between her legs and they don't shave their armpits right they don't shave so their you armpits. have the hair and everything and it's very mm-hmm. much a v-shape with a finger just right in there and every audience member loses their mind yeah i love it so much it's so wonderful yeah. and um but you realize oh i see a decolletage yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's part of the reason why I guess this film hasn't gotten the best reception in France because it's not erotic enough for the straight French audience. And it's like, but that's one thing I love about it is there's, I mean, this film is super, super erotic, but there's so much sex happening in this movie, but it's not explicit. It's not graphic in ways. The nudity, there's like, there's nudity throughout the entire film, but it's just done in a way that isn't gazy like it's not making objects of these women it's these women living their lives and being completely natural and at ease with their own bodies and at ease with each other's bodies and that's to say it isn't that it's there's no denial of or denying intimacy though right at the same time when you get those kisses those lingering kisses and every time they kiss and they pull their mouths away there's always like at least two strands of saliva connecting them at all times Mm -hmm. it's wild yeah it's just it's I've just never seen anything like it where it, it did. It does bring to mind to go back to Carol for a minute. One line in Carol that has always stuck out to me. And I'm not I, I'm not entirely comfortable with the line, but it's where Carol and Therese have sex for the first time. And first of all, that scene is hampered because Kate Blanchett won't get topless. And I don't say that as someone who's like, ah, she won't get, I want to see boobs. It's just like, it's, it's the way it's filmed. Not realistic. It's not realistic, and it's obvious that Kate Blanchett is holding her body in a way so she doesn't expose herself. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Rooney Mara is laying there completely topless, whatever. And as she's lying there, Carol says, I never looked like that. And it's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be a compliment about how wonderful Therese's body is. But to me, I'm like, uh, like you're comparing yourself to this woman. Hmm. Hmm. You're denigrating yourself a little bit to pay her a compliment. Like, why are you thinking about your own body? Why, you know what I mean? And it also is just the way the camera is, and like, there's a remoteness. And in portrait, mm-hmm. I just, it's just not a thing. The way the women lie with each other when they're naked, and it's not, they're not. Most of the time, they're covered up 
you know, or their private bits are covered up, but there's an intimacy and an ease with each other. Well, and it's also, there's also a question of power. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you could argue with Carol. I mean, you know, you yeah. need to argue, but you know, there's, there is a power imbalance in that relationship mm-hmm. as there is in every gay film relationship. Right. In this, they are absolute equals. Yeah. That's one of the points of the film, like artistically. I mean, when you look at when Eloise agrees to pose for her and when she flips that whole narrative on its head of like, if you're looking at me, I'm looking at you. At that point, their outfits are even complementary colors. Eloise is wearing the green. Marianne is in the red. Yeah. It's like one of the points of the film is that these two women are equals with each other there is no power imbalance in the relationship no one has an hold, up, hold up 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 <laughs> you're telling me i gotta know your art fag color theory to understand this movie <laughs> <laughs> complimentary colors are kind of elementary school but okay it's not that elementary <laughs> I mean, it's just another, it's a subtle thing. But that's how smart this movie is. That's how smart this movie is. How smart these women are that made this fucking film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's, Marianne is thrown for a loop when she realizes that Eloise is not just a dumb object sitting there. Like, she doesn't think she's dumb, but I mean, I mean, dumb as in, like, silent. Mm -hmm. She's not a fucking bowl of fruit to be painted. And this movie is making a statement about all of those women throughout the ages. Who mm-hmm. often were artists in their own right. And just their very existence had an impact on the art being created. But we don't think of them that way. It's, oh, Picasso was such a genius. Mm-hmm. God. And it's yeah, like, you're the, lucky if you get a book on Artemisia. Yeah. The only thing we know about the muses, right? Or the, the, like the, the prevailing narrative is like, did the men fuck them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they they might as well just be painting still lives. Right? Yep. And this movie just destroys that yep. completely. Yeah, just throws it out. Just throws it out. And I think the, the nudity and the sex and all of that, there's so much sex in this movie. It's just not explicit. But it's there. Yeah, it's a bone fest. It's a bone fest. The whole second half is just a bone fest. Yeah. They don't have much time. Um, so they... they are at a session and um the portrait is almost finished and uh, finished and eloise says this time i like it and they both agree like we know each other better you know you have more of an active role in it but marianne wants to destroy this painting also because with it she's as she says giving eloise to another when this painting is done and shipped off like this painting has a purpose which is for Eloise to go marry the man in Milan. And so they have their first argument, basically. Um, Eloise says, don't imagine that I'm guilty in this. Like, she doesn't want it, but it's what has to happen. Mm-hmm. And so they have their argument. Eloise leaves. And then we learn that the mother is due back the next day. This is their last day together. And so Eloise, uh, Marianne finds Eloise on the beach. They apologize. They get over it real quick. They go back to bed because <laughs> time is running out. Um, then uh, they're in bed together, lying there. And Marianne is sketching Eloise again as a keepsake for herself. <laughs> and as Eloise says, you know, 
you can reproduce that image all you want, but I'm not going to have any image of you. Because she's like, Mariana is basically paint like doing like the colored pencil version of the exact portrait that they painted together in her little in her little book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Marianne says, if you want a picture of me, I'll I'll draw a picture of you. And Eloise wants her naked, which I love. I want you like this. (laughs) I want you like this. She wants her naked. And so um, Marianne takes Eloise's book, asks her for a page number. She says, page 28. Oh. <laughs> the page is blank. Uh, Marianne does a self-portrait on page 28 of Eloise's book. And how does she draw herself? She, what prop- she props a mirror in Eloise's crotch. So Eloise is nude, lying there, watching Marianne draw herself. The mirror is leaning against Eloise's crotch. So... In the picture, Marianne's eye contact is with Eloise's crotch. It's so good. And this didn't win Best Cinematography. Yeah, didn't win. That shot, that shot of her laying there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. I mean, if talking about Titanic romance. Yeah. Like it takes it literally. This movie is literally draw me like one of your French girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But where Kate Blanchett has the power. Right. <laughs> and is reflecting the artist right back at mm-hmm. through her vag. Like through this her is vag. amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's unheard of. It's completely unheard of. It and but that's the thing, is like it's people might laugh at that when they see it. You know what I mean? Like, oh hold on, look where she put the mirror. But it's like this movie says so much in moments like that. Yeah. And it is funny. Right, and it is it's funny. It's okay to laugh. It is whimsical. It's also beautiful and thoughtful and so, so, so smart and symbolic. Symbolic mm-hmm. while being um, to the point where symbolism isn't even uh, elusive or at the same time not didactic. It's, right. It, it, it is a, it's, it, it's using s- symbolism as, as its intended purpose, which is to create a language. It's a visual language. Mm-hmm. This film is its own language. It is. Absolutely. And there's a lot of shots that we can talk about that are like that throughout yeah. this film that say so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so they uh, that night, they're in bed together. And the scene that one of the 8000 scenes that breaks my heart is where they are beginning to talk about all the things they will. Oh, I'm going to cry. Remember mm. about each other. Yeah. Because they're going to be separated. Um, so yeah, I, it's, time is ticking. They're at the end. They're at the end, and they know they're at the end. Um, so they're going to remember all of these things about each other into the future. Um, and it's kind of like they're creating a pact of ev- they're reaffirming so that they won't be sad because it is so sad. Yeah, they're reaffirming to each other every single thing that they will remember, um, mm-hmm. and it becomes it's another agreement, right? And because they've spent so much time studying each other, <laughs> you know, they mm-hmm. have so many of these little moments, even in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Because this has been, they've what? They've been together just The a whole thing is a like, week. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing is not even two weeks. Because it was what, five days and then six days? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So they finally go to sleep the next morning. 
Uh, Marianne goes down to the kitchen to get some food, and um, there's a man sitting there. Oh, it's the porter from the which means mom is home. And have you ever been more offended in your life to see a one a guest in my house? <laughs> yeah, you know when someone <laughs> rings your doorbell unexpected or knocks mm-hmm. on your door, and you're like, "I'm sorry, none of my friends told me they were going to come invade my privacy." Yeah, and um, then you hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On this, the day of my daughter's wedding, you're going to yes. come and have a man sit there at the table. How disgusting. Uh, it is. And it is like a jump scare, basically. Marianne, it's a violation. Because we have forgotten about men in this time. The patriarchy is always lurking around the edges because all of this that is happening is happening outside of the confines of the patriarchy. Right. Yeah, it's but on it's a, which they're on which island? They're on which island right now? The patriarchy is always there lurking around the edges. We know that there's a deadline. The doomsday clock is ticking. But then when she comes around the corner and that man is sitting there and it is such a shock. And it means that their time is over. She yeah. go, goes back up to Eloise and says they're here. And Eloise wordlessly uh, gets her corset. And Marianne laces her back up. Hmm. Um, the painting is done the mother is pleased and has a gift for Eloise which is the white gown it's her wedding gown this gown that we've seen in these ghostly images of Eloise in Marianne's memories it's Eloise in her wedding gown Um, and Marianne leaves she gives She. <laughs> it's such a tragic wonderful moment where she gives the countess Eloise's mother a hug because it is so fucking inappropriate. And you see the countess like, what the fuck? And, and she does that. So she has like one more second to look Literally at Literally a split second longer to glance at her. Yeah. And then she gives Eloise a hug and tries to inhale her <laughs> as much as yep. she can. Have some intimacy in a fraction of a second. And then she leaves as she gets to the door. Eloise says, turn around. And she turns around, and Eloise is standing there in that white gown. And the door closes, and that's it. She's Eurydice. She's Eurydice. And they say goodbye. Then we are brought back to the framing narrative that we almost forgot existed. And uh, Marianne is looking through all the portraits of her that the students have done. And she remarks to one student, oh, you made me look sad here. And the student says, that's because you were. And Marianne says, well, I'm not anymore. Mm. It's because she's been reliving this whole relationship. And then she says, um, I saw her again a first time. And it's some years after she has left Brittany. Uh, she's at an art reception, a big art gallery. There's all kinds of work on display. And she is showing off a painting that she submitted in her father's name, but it's actually Marianne's painting, and it's Orpheus and Eurydice. And you see that she has basically painted herself and Eloise into this picture. Um, and it's really beautiful. All the way down to the Orpheus's outfit is the exact same color of the dress she's wearing. Yes. Yeah. And Eurydice is in the white gown. And a man remarks, it looks like they're saying goodbye. Like, usually you see it before he turns or something like that. But here you've done something really unique and it looks like the two of them are saying goodbye. Hmm. 
and your heart breaks. But get ready, it's going to break a little more. Yeah, because <laughs> Cecile... Yeah, Celine, Celine. Yeah, Celine is a heavy metal motherfucker. Heavy metal motherfucker. She's not done getting her rocks off with your tears. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Marianne is looking at a flyer about all the works on display, and she sees a painting. She makes her way across a crowded gallery to a painting of Eloise as a mother. It's Eloise posing with a young child who's probably like four or five. Who looks like Dobby, the little elf from the Harry Potters. Looks a little Dobby. I think <laughs> it's done so you can't tell like what if what gender is going on. I think they just yeah. left it kind of. But uh, yeah, the kid is probably four, five years old maybe. Um, and as she looks closer at the painting, she sees that Eloise is holding a book. And her finger is opening the page in a very erotic way, to page 28. Oh, my motherfucking God. And that. I lost my mind the first time. That's, I mean, I lose my mind every time, but the first that's time. That's when I just I jump out the window, the nearest yeah. window. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I live on. heaving. I, that was heaving sobs. I saw this by myself. The first time I saw it, I was by myself. And at that point, I was already a fucking mess. And then that reveal happened and like racking sobs and I yelled into the air. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Like it is flames on the side of my face, but like profound. Sad. Like the most profound sadness. I can't even articulate the words. It's a sledgehammer. It's but a, it is so beautiful and it's thoughtful. It's so beautiful. Oh, my and it's, God. But it is so, that's just, that is the emotional impact right there. Yeah. I mean, well, and then. Yeah. And then, so as an audience member, you say, oh, I have no tears left to cry. I have no heart left to beat a pulse <laughs> in my hollow wicker basket of a chest yeah there's nothing of me left there's nothing left of me (laughs) (laughs) um and uh celine is like oh yeah guess what bitch marianne (laughs) says (laughs) i saw her one last time and we are uh, presumably in milan at a concert hall and Marianne is in a balcony by herself, surrounded by people by herself. She looks across and sees Eloise, also by herself, making her way to a seat. Before the music begins, uh, Marianne says, she didn't see me. And then the music begins, and it is Vivaldi. It is the Vivaldi piece that Marianne played for Eloise on the harpsichord so many years before. And while Marianne said she didn't see me, that's not true. The camera slowly zooms in on Eloise's face, and you realize that all she's doing is seeing Marianne. Because we see everything. I'm going to cry. Yep. It is extraordinary. You, we, I mean, you read their entire life in together in that in those that less than a week on her face it is 
like three minutes of some of the most extraordinary acting I have ever seen in my life. As we watched their entire relationship, everything it means, everything it meant, all of the life that has come after, all of the sadness, there's joy in it. She smiles at one point. Like Adele and Elle, I I don't know how she fucking did it, but it is extraordinary. And that's it. The movie ends. And then it ends. And then if you're me watching it at the Hollywood Theater, it immediately just cuts to both of their names. Yes. Uh, to Marianne and, and Eloise's act, real life names. And yeah. and then it, it's just instant black, cuts to their names. You just have time with their names. And then the lights immediately come up and everyone <laughs> in the theater goes, no! Because we are all crying so much. Yeah. I have never been to a movie before uh, where every time I saw it in the theater, the entire audience stayed seated through the entire credits. Oh, very few people got up when I saw it. And everyone, it, it was like we were all kind of taking in how magical it was because it was just the theater full of women and everyone was just like crying and or half giggling. Yeah. And like laughter of the situation we were all in. Yeah. <laughs> like we had all just signed our souls off to doomsday <laughs> of like emo doomsday. <laughs> just it... feeling so moved and and also you know when you're all taking in that story together this like super transgressive meaningful story because films are made to be watched with other people Mm -hmm. and achieving that moment together it's really beautiful it's brutal it's devastating and it the thing is it keeps building there's like three endings to this film yeah and they just get more devastating each time yeah, yeah. you don't think, yeah, how the fuck do you move past Eurydice and that's like, that's the soft ending. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then seeing a fucking number on a painting is the thing that breaks you. And then you think, I have nothing left to give. And yeah. And, and like, psych. <laughs> Like, and she just she the director she just pulls out her guitar and she's like yeah! <laughs> time for an encore yeah. <laughs> like oh my god oh my god see i can't even talk about this movie without getting emotional as many times as i've seen it i just can't even it's just it's beautiful it's, it's so beautiful yeah how many times have you seen this now i don't i don't pay attention to the number <laughs> I reject your. I reject your patriarchal <laughs> counting system. Okay, you know what? If if this plague wasn't happening, I would be seeing it's still playing here this week. That's that's my. Those are my exact thoughts. Is um, you know, I I I had so wanted to see this like eighteen times in the theater. I was in the middle of production week on a show, and then the show, you know, got canceled or postponed just like everything else like everyone's entire lives have been um and so then i was like okay well at least i can go see portrait now because we extended it at the theater and then the theater closed Uh, and then it's still playing at at this awful there's an awful oh my god listeners there's this awful new movie theater right by my house that is horrible everything is like digital video screens creating faux walls that are decorated in weird international orientalist 
decorating styles and I'm in love with this place. It's horrible. But they're still playing it. But then I'm also like, I shouldn't leave. Right. I shouldn't be in public because we should all be home right now. But, um... Well, the last time I saw it was uh, a couple days ago. Like, right before I went into my exile, I guess. And I was literally the only person in the theater. Yeah. And so I feel like, aside from seeing it for the first time, I feel like seeing it on the big screen having the entire theater to yourself i feel is like it's not going to get better than that i so. know oh maybe i'll check the um see what the seating charts look like and if there's nobody in there maybe i'll go get myself a ticket right yeah it's uh it this movie i mean and also i think because of how much is built into this film yet how subtly it it is done it really does warrant seeing it eight million times not to mention also the fact that like I mean, I, I'm not trying to make fun at you when I'm like, how many times have you seen this? Or like, I mean, I well, I do make fun of Heather because Heather's seen it like at least 12 times, I think now. Yeah. But I'm like also not making fun because I understand what it means to be able to see something that was literally made for you. Yeah. For, for the, the first time. For the first time. Getting to see this. And I think the fact that it's so beautiful to look at and the sound design on this oh. film. Oh, is unfucking believable. This movie is so profoundly quiet. There are three instances of music. It's all diegetic, uh, which means it happens in the film and we hear it. There's no like soundtrack, you know? There's the Vivaldi on the harpsichord, there's the Vivaldi at the concert hall, and there's the song around the, bon- the bonfire. Yeah, the and women singing. And that's it. Other than. Hmm? Oh, oh, I was going to say to the point that when the women start singing, as you begin to hear those encroaching tones of their voices, because they they begin by harmonizing, Mm -hmm. um, you you don't see them at first. You just begin to hear them. And I was like, wait, why why all of a sudden is there like a non-diegetic rising action sound? Mm -hmm. It it, kind of scares you because it's so unexpected. Yeah, because there's been nothing like that, which I love about this movie is that it doesn't use, it does use music at impactful moments, but there are plenty of impactful moments that have no music. It's not manipulating your emotions by telling you how to feel. It's just you are feeling what you're feeling. And not to turn this into the snubbies, because um, obviously this deserves... Uh, best actor award obviously this deserves best director a writer a uh, best picture um this deserves i mean the sound design in this film is incredible and we watched it together for the first time on a screener um and you just kept telling me like you need to see this in the theater you don't understand the sound yeah and i, I was aware of how little sound was in the film or what seems like little sound because there is so much of the film is about stillness and about silence of just their surroundings and of being present in those surroundings but those surroundings involve the sound the faint sounds of waves in the background or the loud sounds of waves crashing as they're outside or what's most important i think is their breathing which you pointed out time and again hearing and then seeing this in the theater and hearing their like those shuddering breaths as they as they get closer to each other. It's I've never seen a film before. Like first of all, when this is available on home for home viewing, it comes out on DVD or whatever. If you are going to watch it that way, and it's getting I, a Criterion, right? Yeah, it's getting yeah. a Criterion release sometime this year. Thank God. 
But when it is available that way, I highly recommend watching it at least once while you wear headphones. Yeah. To hear everything. But my bigger point is, like, I've never seen a film before where breathing is so essential to the performances throughout the entire film. Not just in, like, one scene where things are getting hot and heavy. It's, like, through the entire film. And I don't know how conscious of it the actors are. But it's there. It's almost like the use of breath in Suspiria. Um, Mm -hmm. Except in that film... It's about a witch who is a, also a witch goddess who is the mother of sighs. So you're going to hear sighing and breathing and and, right. and the use of the diaphragm. But <laughs> this is just a, a normal story that doesn't involve a supernatural witch mother. At right. least immediately on paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's their moments of romance where they come together. Moments of anger. Moment, you know, just everything. And that speaks to, I'm sure if we want to go back to the universality of a queer versus straight viewer, I'm sure that heterosexual people must, uh, must, um, experience those, those trembling breaths, um, when they are near a loved one, uh, or, or early on in the stages of a romance or, or Twitter patient at best, but, or at worst, but like, it's that to me really speaks to the to the gay connection and gay intimacy mm-hmm. um, where it's like this is something we could die for mm-hmm. this is illegal this is unsafe this is all we want this is what we need well I think that point is exemplified also in Eloise's line that explains your looks oh when when she, you know, Marianne has been observing her, mostly for the purposes of being able to paint her. Nasty. And when she finds out the truth, but Eloise doesn't know that. She's just like, why is this woman looking at me so intently? Why is she checking me out all the time? <laughs> why is she checking me out all the time? And as they start to open up to each other and start to feel things, Eloise interpreted it one way. And so on the one hand, it's just heartbreaking to be like, oh, I thought you were attracted to I me basically you liked me but as gay characters as a gay viewer it's like we have to spend especially women especially lesbians have to spend so much time and effort playing detective oh my god yeah you know, I mean, you and I have talked about it before and, like, made light of it and, you know, uh, we've loved done it the together tropes. on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the um, the long glances down a hallway. It's yes. pr- particularly prevalent in lesbian films. And it's like saying that explains your looks just has that much deeper of a meaning to it. Because we do have to... Watch someone's gestures. Watch someone's facial expression. How much eye contact are they making? Because we don't know if this other person is attracted to us. We don't know if we're allowed to be attracted to them. Because to find out that you're wrong the whole way, to just come out and say it can literally be dangerous. You could die. You could die. People that aren't gay don't understand this. And so it's yeah my my um after I came out my dad always used to give me so much shit I mean he wouldn't give me shit but like he would he would be like Anthony you get so much anxiety over the people you're into 
um why like why are you, you spend so much time obsessing over whether they or not they like you or anything and it's like that is a, a conditioning where you 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 feel a connection with somebody and you hope beyond hope that they feel it back and then you have to look for evidence of it before you right. can even you can't just say i like you do you like me yes no maybe <laughs> like you can't just do right. the note in school mm-hmm and with women, like when it's between two women, it's that much more difficult because as a whole, I would say I feel safe saying that women tend to be more kind to one another, more empathetic. Mm. Um, mm. Straight women refer to other women as their girlfriends all the time. Straight women will be very touchy feely. will give you a hug. I don't know how many times you. it's been like. She says she's straight, but does she like me? Like, that comes up so often because women will touch one another even when there's nothing sexual about it. And it's a more, there's more of a comment. That's interesting. To, that's actually really interesting for me to hear because I always assumed it was the opposite, that it would be easier for women because there was more permissive uh, permissivity around, like, uh, sexual fluidity or like, oh, well, women are all inherently bought. You know, that kind of attitude or expectation that isn't really right. real that gets put on women. Mm -hmm. um, but I can see that then that complicates things so much more. It's very, very fucking complicated. Huh. It's super complicated, you know? And so I think that, so that line to me is like, oh, here you have your lesbian actor and your lesbian writer director. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you understand what that's like. That yeah. comes from... And this comes goes back to something we were talking about on Gay Lords, but like when it comes from writing from experience... Mm -hmm. that's why you're not going to see that line that right. emotional impact and all the implications and ramifications of that little tiny piece of dialogue that some people might not even glean anything into right uh it comes from lived experience of 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 living in this state where you're not a real person mm-hmm it's complicated and scary. <laughs> I think uh, to talk about the more, even more of the subtlety of the film, something that uh, we've not complained about over and over every single st time, like second of your trip here when we just kept saying, Parasite is such a good movie. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Why didn't Portrait win everything? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We like Parasite. Constantly reasserting and reminding ourselves. We do, in fact, like Parasite and think it's a good movie. It's However, just all, all the metaphors in Parasite aren't metaphors. They're just text laid bare. Yeah. A, a metaphor is not a metaphor if it's not... <laughs> functioning subversively somewhat right yes yeah. and it, it's and what's interesting what i loved about your read of portrait too of just one specific moment in portrait is you're like everything that parasite is doing ham-fistedly and very didactically throughout portrait just does in that one seat that one shot mm -hmm. of um when you were talking earlier in the synopsis about the women becoming this egalitarian feminist art collective that moment where it really sets in that that is happening is when you see these three women hanging out together in the, what, the, the scullery, shall we call it? <laughs> yeah, the kitchen. Yeah. And um, Sophie, who has cooked every meal and has dished up everyone's food and fed them every step of the way in this film so far, Sophie is sitting there doing needlework mm -hmm. while uh, Eloise is the one chopping up the vegetables and making dinner at the, at the fire. 
Yeah. There's, it's a very brief sequence. There's no dialogue at all. And I'm sure that plenty of people are like, why is, why do we need this? You know? And it's just, it's a shot. Why am I watching him cook? All three of them from left to right. Eloise, the noble woman, the one who, according to the class system and everything, should be running the show, is, has got an apron on and is cutting up vegetables and doing the cooking. Marianne, who has been hired to do a specific job, is pouring wine for everybody and just kind of hanging out while also giving her approval to the work that Sophie is doing, which is she's embroidering. She has a a vase of flowers set up and she's embroidering the still life. Mm -hmm. And Marianne like watches her work and gives her approval. And it's like, it says so much about them operating outside of the confines of the class system and outside of the patriarchy. And it has a whole other layer that Sophie, the serving girl, is making art. You know, like she's making art when she's not tasked with, you know, her role in life, quote unquote. And it's also the fact that Marianne gives her approval to what Sophie is doing is a nod to the embroidery actually being a fucking art form. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, instead of, um, what was that, craft? It's arts and crafts. Instead of being fine arts. Like, at some point, like, in medieval times and before, embroidery was a very legitimate art form, right? One of the most famous pieces of art of all time, the bio-tapestry which isn't a tapestry. It's an embroidered piece. If you've ever seen those memes of embroidered old-timey people and it's like, gaze upon my field of fucks, it doth lie barren or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Like those images, if they're not exactly, then they're styled after the Mm -hmm. bio-tapestry, which was made by women. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, men decided that embroidery was a women's craft. So it was demoted from art to arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. Not only is it not a legitimate art form, it is seen as a leisure time activity for women of means. If you remember earlier in the film, when Marianne and Eloise are on the beach, they've got the blanket, the quilt, that Eloise's sister had been embroidering before she died. And you look at it, and sure, it's unfinished because she died, but it's just blue thread winding through this thing. And it's like, to me, I look at it and I say she wasn't even into it, but that was expected of her as a noble woman. Yeah. And here you have the serving girl creating this incredible fucking piece of art. Yeah. With a, And that's what's so beautiful, too, is with approval from, like, an art instructor. Right. But it's also, there's no, there's not a power balance there. Right. There are imbalance. Um, and I think and I think what that also speaks to that that whole sequence, not just um, uh, equality and egalitarianism and and uh, it, it's challenging the idea of and reclaiming in a way this idea of women's work, women's work, mm-hmm. the phrase like this uh, uh, domesticity or craft or, you know, whatever it's. It's equalizing it and making it valid again in a weird way Mm -hmm. while also turning this class expectation entirely on its head in a way that portrait or that parasite could spend two hours very blatantly doing on its sleeve. Yeah. It's beautiful. These women are making these choices. They've become a little community. Eloise wants to provide for them in this moment, you know? Yeah. 
Marianne just wants to chill. (laughs) Like they all have gotten to make choices. Which for me, I mean, we go to the heartbreak of the love story or the heartbreak of women's women's histories that are lost to time and women's stories and women's art all the stories and art and 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 amazing people and thinkers and scholars and artists and all the voices that have been denied time or space or validity because of patriarchy uh that's really what these tragedies in this film are about and that's what you're crying about at the end of this movie i think Another huge tragedy for me is, um, and one part that really rips my heart out of my body is when they're saying their goodbyes and Sophie has to say goodbye to Marianne Mm -hmm. and the man is back. And that means she's cooking again. And that Mm -hmm. means, is she going to be valued as a, as an equal ever again? Right. That's one thing that I love about this film is that during their time after the mother leaves, they bring Sophie in. She is not excluded from anything. Like, they both immediately jump to action to help her take care of this child, this unwanted child. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they just hang out together. Mm-hmm. There's the Orpheus and Eurydice scene. There's the night that they spend time playing cards and hanging out together. Like, Eloise and Marianne are spending a lot of time having sex and all of that, but they I was also... Say they, are, she, they are excluding her from one activity. <laughs> they're excluding her from one activity, but also, like, they're spending time with her. And she has this incredible friendship suddenly, this solidarity. There's a moment where, when they're trying to induce the miscarriage, and she's running back and forth on the beach, and she falls down. And it's Eloise that comes over and extends a hand to help her up. Yeah. And Sophie pauses because it's like, oh. She's never had that before. She's never had that. We're equals. She has another pause early on when Marianne has arrived and it's late that night and Marianne goes down to the kitchen to get herself some food. And Sophie comes in and is a little taken aback and Marianne's like, I'm sorry, I was hungry. She doesn't go find Sophie and tell her that she's hungry. She just takes care of herself. Yeah, she doesn't wake her up and make her prepare prepare me my warm milk. Exactly. She just does it herself. And Sophie's shocked. That's not that's not how you do things. That goes against the rules of the world. Mm -hmm. Like people are born into their place. You maintain the role that has been set been prescribed for you. Mm hmm based on who you were assigned at birth, and then that's the role you play for your, the rest of your life. There's no other way about how the world works because that's how it always has worked because that's how God made it. Right. But not yeah. on which island. <laughs> not on which island. And so she, yeah, Sophie has these not even two weeks of being an equal. And I think, I think Sophie, I just... I just love her so much. I love mm-hmm. I love all the women in this movie. I really I love Sophie uh, another filmmaker I don't think would have thought to put Sophie in this film. Right. And yeah. you would you would just get you know maybe a background servant who's just there. Yeah. While these and two she- women just have a finger fest. <laughs> like <Right. laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. And she's such a real character. And it's another way of being the transgressive, like blowing apart the class system and our assumptions about, well, she's the serving girl who gets pregnant. Like, what a dum-dum. And it's like, no, she's sitting there at the table with them discussing Orpheus and Eurydice, and she has opinions about it. Yep. She is just as she's a talented artist. Mm -hmm. Like, she has a very full life and a full existence. Mm Mm-hmm. 
You know? Yeah. And I, and I think Sophie's storyline also opens up um, what I think is one of the most transgressive sequences in the film and storylines in the film, and that is the abortion sequence mm-hmm. slash storyline. I, I mean, we were talking about this like last week, but I cannot get over that abortion scene. I know. And I can't get over, I mean, as I was sitting there watching it in the theater, I was like, oh, this is so, this is so considered and, and sweet. How is it sweet? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful experience watching this in the theater. And then I hear someone grab their bag. Yeah. And like their keys and their coat and get up and leave. And I'm like kind of shocked. And then I was like, oh, I wish this person had stayed because, but also they probably would have been more enraged or just left if that is actually why they left and they just didn't have to leave the theater in that moment. But like when we get that abortion sequence, not only do we have the point that one of my favorite sequences that you pointed out or moments is, is Eloise telling uh, Marianne to look and to, mm-hmm. to watch, almost to study it, remember this moment, I think, mm-hmm. is what she's really trying to convey. Um, but that, and also that we need to be here for it. We need to be witness to her. Right. But um, then that as this is happening, there's this lingering, briefly lingering shot of Sophie on the bed. And she's, I mean, this is a painful moment for her mm-hmm. physically. And she is, she kind of, turns to this baby there's two kids on the bed and this baby is is holding her hand and kind of rubbing the tears on her face and just sort of giggling with her and this kid is is almost becomes a point of comfort this little child and it's it's this it's so thoughtful and sweet and transgressive in that it's showing that abortion is not anti-child right that this is a a choice that people have to make for their well-being and it does not it's not about man-hating or about baby killing or mm-hmm. being selfish it's that these two things can coexist exactly and that she can have she can draw on the sweetness and the innocence and the 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 comfort of us of this infant or this toddler while also having an abortion while also having an abortion practiced on her by a mother with her mm-hmm. kids in the room mm-hmm yeah, and it's a choice that women have been making since the dawn of fucking time. That's abortion, the thing. These abortion been happening. Wasn't, it's been happening. Abortion wasn't invented with Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. This has always been a part of women's history, and that's why Eloise telling Marianne to look and saying, we're going to paint this. First of all, saying, we're going to paint, makes herself and, and Sophie active participants in this creation. We Again, are... blowing up. The the myth of the muse. Yeah, they are they are in that moment. They are docu- when when they can go back home. For I, I do feel bad that Sophie has to get up from her moment. Of yeah, yeah. To go over there and do it, but like uh, Eloise sets up that bed and then she says we're going to paint, and they are consciously creating a document of something that does not go documented exactly they are capturing their histories they are committing to remembering what they as women go through and what uh what what their stories entail all of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it it is 
that I think that storyline and that those two sequences playing off each other are two beyond the romance, beyond everything, I think are two of the most profound statements in this film. Absolutely. And statements about just the existence of women throughout time. And 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 like you were talking about too with the um the midwifer or the the yeah, the midwifery kind of hedge witchy solutions and options that women have too like people don't think about that in terms of abortion history is the history of like what are they abortifacents or abortifacents like the herbs and and drugs Mm -hmm. and potions and things that women would create to facilitate um getting rid of an unwanted pregnancy and pass this information on to each other that's folk it's actual folklore that yeah still exists to this day that has existed through oral tradition mm-hmm mm-hmm i mean it's yeah it's 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 women's history that has been taken from us and denied to us mm-hmm. where would we be now if these things had been documented mm-hmm. you know we don't get our good histories we're removed from the conversation it's like you know this movie makes so many statements about women artists you know, Marianne has to submit a painting in her father's name. You know, women were not allowed to do these things. How many famous women artists do you know? You, like you name dropped Artemisia. Yeah, most everybody who's ever studied art history remotely knows Artemisia Gentileschi. Yeah, but who else? But who else is there? Because, we, you know, Marianne said, uh, Eloise asks Marianne at one point, like, do you paint nude models? And she says, I paint the women. We Women were not allowed to paint nude men. And so they weren't allowed to paint the great subjects. You know, the, the trends of the time, you know, religious paintings, painting scenes from the Bible, etc. If you don't have knowledge of what a male body looks like, how can you recreate it? Mm-hmm. Women were not allowed to attend art academies. You just, women were just excluded from the process. And nowadays, when you have, you know, the Gorilla Girls asking, why is it that, you know, the museum, 90% of the nudes are women, but only 3% of the artists are. And people say, well, there just weren't women artists. Women just didn't like that. And it's like, no, these women existed. What was that, Jason Blum? There aren't women directors. <laughs> there aren't women directors. That, it's like yeah. excluded from the conversation and then punished for not being a part of the conversation. I always draw on her, but um, Valerie Solanas says in the Scum Manifesto that the higher education exists not to educate, but to, to deny others entrance to the various professions. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that 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 same idea that. There was there was a structure that was made to self proliferate um, for one type of person, for the person right. in power, mm-hmm. and the structure never existed to include women. Yep. This is see. This is where I get angry, and I'm like, I don't understand how this movie doesn't have women all riled up. It's like we are denied the bad histories. You look at like uh, the Salem witch trials. It's like, we've got a kind of a general story about it. Have you heard the words of the women themselves? Mm-hmm. The women who were on trial? No, they didn't transcribe the women's words. Hmm. We don't even get a voice in that. Hmm. You know? it's. I get so upset for... I just get so upset. Well, and... and the, uh, 
culturally too i mean stories inform our consciousness of how we see ourselves as cultures um right. those stories have all been told by men and mm-hmm. all the female characters we've had to look to i mean it, like all the way down to shakespeare they're literally played by men written by man mm-hmm. yeah men have controlled the discourse in in fiction non-fiction in art yep and the women have been there <laughs> it's, it's not that women don't want to do these things because look what look what they do in this film the mm-hmm. second they're outside the confines it's excruciating and it is enraging and it um it, it speaks to that double-edged sword of the ending of the endings uh in that 28 is obliterating uh and and uh so hard to watch but also so wonderful because you see in that moment with 28 like oh this is the commitment that they will they remember and they are speaking to each other through this code almost Mm -hmm. they're speaking to each other through their artwork through the Mm -hmm. artwork that um eloise is commissioning through the artwork that uh, marianne's making by they're speaking to each other without even being aware of it through memory through going to vivaldi to the concert Mm -hmm. um so that the stories survive in secret but then also that that how many how many other stories out there there's it's legion there's countless 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 stories yeah that completely vanish uh it's so beautiful that these women commit to remembering them but once they're not there to remember then what's left and that's what we've inherited that's what we've inherited is the is the the um the gap the the complete void of it Mm -hmm. that's all we have to turn to and that's what's beautiful about this movie is that this is an attempt to shine light on something that is gone that we can't you can't shine light on anymore but it's a reconstruction. I think it's a really faithful, beautiful reconstruction. That's that's the thing is I love the beauty of that. And I just, it's so profoundly sad. It is so sad. It's so sad. And it's, it's so funny. And that's why I call it a double-edged sword because it's so beautiful and profound and, and hopeful in a way. Mm-hmm. But it is also, you can't acknowledge that. It's just like fucking Orpheus and Eurydice. Mm-hmm. You can't acknowledge the beauty of that turnaround with all, without also seeing the tragedy of it. Right. Um, that, that, and, and that's, yeah, that's, that these filmmakers are so, I don't know, they're so brave to be able to find a way to articulate something so simple but also so complicated and so yes. affecting in, in, both, in both poles of, of emotion. Yeah, it's like the, you know, the women aren't together, but they are together. I mean, the framing narrative, when you, if you watch Marianne, when you notice her, notice the painting. She clenches her fist. Like, she has a physical reaction to seeing that painting that has been in storage. Mm -hmm. And then she remembers the story. And then she remembers the 28 painting which was years after that and then she remembers vivaldi which was sometime after that and now in the present which is who knows how long after they actually had that week together she still has a physical reaction to it yep and i just get so upset for every 
I mean, especially gay people who just throughout history who haven't been able to live their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Or every woman, like, I mean, Heloise is such an incredible fucking character. She's so bright. She's funny. She's inquisitive. She's kind. She's, you know, probably got untapped talents. You see when Marianne has her, when she's mixing the paint on Marianne's palette and the smile that comes across her face and the get out, get your things, we're going to paint. Who knows what kind of untapped talents she has? She's an incredible human being. And she's forced into a life she doesn't want. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a wife and a mother, go for it. It should be your choice. And that also comes at the cost of her sister's life, too. Mm-hmm. That, that choice that she doesn't get to make is also inflicted on her because her sister didn't want to have to make that choice either. Right. Her sister wrote her a letter and apologized. Yeah, she didn't know why. You know, and then you look at the mother count- character, the countess. Oh, Valeria Golino. I mean, right? I wow. have loved this woman since I saw her in Frida. She played Lupe Marine, um, Diego's previous wife. I've loved her since I saw her in Big Top Pee Wee. <laughs> oh my God, she's in Big Top Pee Wee? She's Gina Piccolo Pupola. What? Mm-hmm. You're telling me it features not only Valeria Golina, but also Susan Tyrrell? Uh-huh. Okay, I know what I'm watching during this quarantine. <laughs> yes, but she's fucking amazing in this movie. And sorry, what you were saying about her. Oh, I was going to say that, like, you know, she's the bad guy, right? Like, she's the one who keeps them apart. Um, I think, but she genuinely does... She's one of those women who just works within the confines. She wants what's best for her daughter. She wants her to, she's not going to marry her to a local gentleman who's, you know, and be stuck on this island. She's going to go to Milan where there's music and art and books and all of that. So it's like she conforms to the patriarchy, but also does want genuinely want the best for her daughter and i think doesn't she even say there's something almost along the lines of like she wants a change of scenery for her daughter but also for herself also for herself because guess what mom goes where where she goes Mm -hmm. and the fact that she um i mean yeah like you could read her as the villain but also i think on the first view i definitely did the second view when i saw it i had so much sympathy for her Oh, yeah. Where it's like, she is just doing the only thing she knows how to do. Yeah, it's the only thing she knows and how to do. And she also just lost her daughter. And this is, she is, right. she is in, she is deathly afraid of losing the last thing she has. Who is also, I mean, like it or not, is also uh, merchandise that is mm-hmm. going to secure her being able to go somewhere new. Mm-hmm. She'll, if she's lucky, she gets to do that with her daughter. It's one thing I love about this movie that I think is so, 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 so smart is the fact that there are no men. And Celine Siama has said, like, the men are there on this island. This isn't some magical, you know. It's not Duke of Burgundy planet. It's not Duke of Burgundy planet. It's not Wonder Woman <laughs> Island where there's yeah. just men don't exist. Like, the men are there, but they're just not in the frame. We've seen their stories. We've heard their stories. They don't matter to this story. And so they're not there. Um, That's it. Oh, yes. But I think it's so smart that we know 
nothing about Eloise's suitor in Milan. We don't see him. We don't hear from him. We don't know about the father. About, you know, her father. Like, is there a husband? Is there a father Mm -hmm. for her mother? Like, we don't know. And it doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. What would they add to this narrative? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Anytime a man shows up in this movie, they are bumbling. They just get in the way. If mm-hmm. if they even do that, because they do nothing. When yeah, the, the opening shot of the film, or not the opening, but the opening shot of the memory, where Marianne is in the rowboat, being rowed to the island, and her the crate with her canvas and all her art supplies and everything falls into the water. The and there's a moment there. the guys just sit there; they don't do anything, and so Marianne has to jump in and get it, and quite literally risking her life. She gets like, up. In her full fucking gown and hurls herself into the fucking river or ocean or channel, whatever the fuck they're in. (laughs) Yeah. Hurls herself into the water and it's tempestuous waves. Tempestuous waves and how heavy would her outfit have been? Regardless, when it was dry, imagine it wet. She literally risked her life for her art. Right. That's one of the things I also love about this movie is that we have such a, like, <sighs> there are expectations when it comes to period films. Like, a couple of times I saw this at the theater and there was a trailer for Emma beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. Another period film. And I think that is truer to what audiences expect from a period film yes. than something like this. Yes. That said, I Which... can't wait to see Emma, but yes, <laughs> I agree. But it's like, you look at the house that they're in. It's not... Or the castle, whatever it is. Uh, it's not fancy. It's not all done over. The paint is peeling. Like, they found this space and they just filmed there. They didn't yeah. touch it up. They didn't make it fancy. Yeah. Well, you want uh, the nostalgic, uh, pastoral, Dickensian look to everything, right? Right. But I think it's even more important when it comes to what these women are wearing. Is that you'll off if if it's a period film and you watch any behind the scenes, you'll see actors complaining about having to wear corsets and how painful it is. But it never translates to the screen. Yeah. Here, you watch them run up and down the beach. You know how fucking heavy all those clothes are that they're wearing. They have to work to just walk around in these clothes. And as the women are by themselves, as they become more insular and it's just the three of them, they become more free. In their clothing. Mm-hmm. They don't put on the corsets. Start they wearing don't. those house dresses. Start wearing house dresses or nothing at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just them in the armpits. It's just... M- <laughs> and a mirror. That's all you need to wear is a mirror. It's, all you need to wear is a mirror and a smile. I'll be your mirror. Oh, Nico. <laughs> I just... I love the honesty, I guess. It's a... About all of that. It is... The the movie, the whole movie is just so honest. I think people talk about authenticity in art. I personally am so sick of hearing about authenticity in art because I don't think authenticity really exists or is easily done, especially right. in a in a in a marketable consumer based product. Mm-hmm. Um, this film feels extremely authentic. Mm-hmm extremely honest well like i had mentioned to you in one of our zillions of conversations about this film the whole abortion storyline kicks off because marianne has her period yes right first of all you never see women have their periods in film 
not in any way that is real like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean that is like having cramps or whatever and then you realize that the entire time that eloise and marianne are fucking marianne's gone her period Mm -hmm. like that that's a another transgressive fucking statement yep you don't see that in movies. Yeah, this movie is just kills all the sacred cows around. It kills all the sacred femininity cows. Femininity and period pieces and romance and history, art, class, expectation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what you're trying to say is what that woman, the ticket taker at the movies said. It's strange. <laughs> Right? Like, we've been talking about it for two hours. We could have just said it's strange, and we that's it. We could have just said, oh, well, she was right. <laughs> she was right. It's strange. I mean, Stacy Ponder. Is this the most feminist movie ever made? It is absolutely the most feminist movie. It is, ever isn't it? <laughs> it absolutely is. Not in any rah-rah girl power kind of way, but just... Speaking to our history that has been denied. Speaking to sex, women's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Speaking to the every days of women's lives. And get it's, in your fucking period, and you get cramps. And like, it's it own construction. The people that made it. It is. And the people that made it. Which is pretty crucial too. Is the story he, with this? With the, you know more about this than I do, but the story behind the film with the between. Um, Celine and uh, Adele. Yes. Uh, Celine was a director on one of Adele's first films, one of her early films. And the two of them entered a relationship. And the relationship ended. And Celine wrote this film for Adele, like for her to star in. And it's basically, you know, their way of exploring like a love story when it's over. Mm hmm. This is their 28, in a way. Yeah. A love story that is over, but you can still love one another. And I think that that's so super lesbian also. It's like... (laughs) Right? Like so lesbian. Okay, y'all are gay as fuck. Yeah. Where you're like, is this passive aggressive? (laughs) But also, you made something really beautiful and thoughtful and intense. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's, that's what I mean when I'm like, it's, it's the most lesbian film of all time. It is. I've never, and, and this whole like male gaze, women's gaze, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, first of all, the first painting that the male painter did of Eloise that he tried to do, but he never saw her face. So the face is destroyed. Marianne is looking at it. She's closely inspecting it in one night and her candle gets too close and it catches on fire. Instead of putting it out, she chucks it in the fireplace and lets it burn, literally destroying the male gaze. She destroys the male gaze. She literally destroys it. I also love the the implication of that painting that, I mean, yes, he didn't see her, but that he was unable to depict a woman. Yes. And it was just He couldn't do it. He could paint her pretty dress. Because women are he put a, he put a he put a fancy bracelet on her mm-hmm. that she would never fucking wear, mm-hmm. right? And then she just goes and she destroys that. Painting. She fucking torched it. The art we haven't even talked about the art in this movie. I mean, the oh whole thing God. is art, but the physical uh, paintings, the 
the the just the opening shot of and you see those little bits of uh, like the the paintbrushes, the sound of paintbrushes, the sound of charcoal on canvas. Mm-hmm. The ah uh, process. It's baby. it's. It's so different from, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but it's so different from what we usually, how we usually see artists depicted in film. First of all, it's usually men. And it's like, they're so tortured and violent and they're throwing paint at the canvas. Like Jackson Pollock, I'm going to take a shit on this canvas. Let's jerk off on it. Because I'm a tortured genius. Jackson Pollock and Joker makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on a canvas. <laughs> throwing yeah. a drink at his wife. Yeah. And then shooting her. Yeah, and then, and then everyone yeah. says, it's the most beautiful work of art ever oh made. Oh, my God. Oh. Artists are so crazy. <laughs> but it's like, this film gets into the process. And again, that sound design just comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, imagine that art is taxing. And it takes a lot of work and consideration and effort. But I love, there's several shots, especially when she's painting the first version of the portrait. There's a lot of shots of Marianne conjuring Eloise. She'll Mm. be working and then she'll close her eyes. And it's a great performance by Noemi Merlant. But you just see what she's, you see her mentally picturing Eloise. Yeah. And it's, I just, I love little acting moments like that. It's so perfect. And you realize that that's what she's going to be doing for the rest of her life. Yep. It's just conjuring her whenever she can. It's a witch movie. (sighs) It's a witch movie. These women are sorcerers. I mean, and that's what. What I've learned is that the Grand High Witch is Adele. Oh my god, she's this the woman. alpha. She is the right? the queen of the lesbians, the queen of the damned. My god. Could you ask uh, for a better leader in these times? Absolutely not. We can't absolutely not talk about not. Adele at the Cesar Awards. Oh my god. Talk about her everywhere. First of all, she was the first actor to speak out in France. Uh, and really kick off the Me Too movement. Yeah, she's like the face of French Me Too. She's the face of French Me Too. Um, Her first film, when she was 12 years old, uh, the director was in love with her. Uh, That's what he told her. Very inappropriate relationship. She was a child. Mm -hmm. Very inappropriate relationship. Um... And she just kept that to herself until she saw Leaving Neverland. And then she was like, because she just felt like, what's the point of speaking out? Nothing is ever done about these things. But then she saw that documentary and was like, you know, I could do some good. And so she spoke out and kind of, because we all know that France isn't the most feminist country. What would make you say that? <laughs> we have Catherine Lots of, uh, and yeah, a lot of venerable French actresses have spoken out against Me Too. So she took a really big risk coming out with all of this. And she's become yeah. the face of the movement um, and the face of new French feminism, basically, which they need. Um, and so at the César Awards this year, which are basically the French Oscars, um, the media had been hyping sort of Adele Nell versus Roman Polanski, right? Like, 
in my understanding, the French media was just like, oh, he's is he going to be there? She's going to be there. Are they going to fight? Whatever. But and so finally, Polanski said, pulled out. He was not going to show. He was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director and all that. And um, he decided not to go because he did not want to be accosted by feminists. He was too afraid of the lesbians. <laughs> he was afraid of the lesbians, basically, which, <laughs> my God, <laughs> pleases me. Um, and so throughout the ceremony, anytime his name would come up or anything remotely related to him, the camera would cut to her. Wow. To get her reaction to it. Um, and when he was announced as best director, Cause, she says cause now that because that happened, that happened um, she uh, said that the man behind her started yelling and clapping and was like, long live Polanski, go Polanski. Like, and that really pushed her over the edge. And so she got up and she walked out. But and she Celine didn't just immediately walk out. Got no, she didn't just walk out. She yelled at all of them. You know, congratulations, pedophilia. <laughs> like basically scolded the audience and walked out of the ceremony. And everybody else, team portrait, got up and followed. Could you imagine that happening at the Oscars? No. She also came out at the Cesars. She won a Cesar when she and Celine were still together. And that's where she came out was in her acceptance speech. And, uh, not to, not to, to wear down the visibility or the importance or any of that of our actors out there who have, uh, said, you know, that they're open, fluid, that we cling to in this society, in American society, where we're like, oh, so-and-so's pan. <laughs> like, <laughs> so-and-so said they're open to any gender. They're not gonna, they're not gonna, they fall in love with the person. But like... They fall in love with a soul! What lesbians do we have here? We've got... Um, Ellen Page. Come to my window. <laughs> Martina Navratilova. Martina and Ellen Page. <laughs> but to have Adele as a full-on fucking dyke, out dyke actor... Who calls herself an angry feminist? Like, yeah. she wears the, like, angry feminist dyke label very proudly. And for someone who is as talented as she is and who is as recognized for her talents as she is, um, who's, like, 30 years old. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's really significant. And it's, I mean, she's just such a, she feels like a leader, right? <laughs> absolutely she's so cool and she doesn't like she doesn't talk about her relationships she's like it's a political act for me to be out so i'm out i'm visible but i'm not gonna talk about private stuff and it's like so for anybody who's like it doesn't matter like i just remembered during carol press tours when kate blanchett had that whole thing she gives weird interviews sometime but she kind of intimated that she had been with women in the past right? yeah she kind of queer bait her She's a queer baiter for sure. Um, but they pressed her on it and then she pulled the whole like, what does it matter if an actor is straight or gay? And to me, that just says, oh, you're straight. Like, I don't know that any gay per like, ideally it doesn't matter, but it completely matters yeah, still. It absolutely matters. You know, and so I just feel like gay people, gay actors could take the Adele route and be like, I'm out, but I'm not going to talk about who I'm dating or any of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, she... Not gonna out anybody, but... Well. (laughs) A little bravery is required. A little bravery is required. And honestly, if you want to combat this idea um, that this film puts right out there of erasure, 
Mm-hmm. People continue, this, this system continues to self-proliferate and continues to erase and invisibilize because we continue to follow the same rules. Exactly. And to challenge that, to, to lay a blueprint or groundwork or to, to give an example of representation for people that are growing up, have grown up without it, or then to change lives and generations to, to be out, to, to make films like these, that is going to completely shift the consciousness of what we're capable of. Just like in the film, how, you know, it's, it's so shocking that a servant steps out of her role, but that's because that's all she's ever known her whole life. That's, this is all we've ever known. Mm-hmm. But to have an out 30-year-old lesbian actor speaking for these values, how much is that going to impact young women in France? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that could intrinsically change the entire cultural consciousness of young women there moving forward. They're posting bills that say, thank you, Adele Nell. Like, oh. because she's giving a voice to people who have been voiceless. Mm-hmm. And that's what it takes. And that's what being out can do 28 is beautiful remembering is beautiful but what about when we don't have to do that and it's just this becomes life the the egalitarian feminist art collective becomes life instead of something you only do on the weekends when mom's gone right (laughs) yeah it is achievable it is achievable that's the thing is like that this is what you watching this film and that's when i get angry again is like this is possible this has always happened this is what's possible Mm -hmm. when you take away you know the power structure that's been in place since the beginning of time it's a cliche um but another gay film that also said that in Brokeback Mountain, when he's like, it could be like this, just like this. Right. But like, that's the thing. Why do we keep settling for denying that? Yeah. I don't know. So I, I, I just think. Ugh, this movie's fucking brilliant. It's it, that's why it's absolutely a manifesto. It's a manifesto in so many fucking ways. Mm-hmm. I think about the the moment that is actually really funny, and there's a callback to it actually. When you know when Marion and Sophie are talking, and Marion says, "I haven't even seen her smile," and Sophie says, "Have you tried being yes. funny?" It's like how many times are women told to smile? You're just supposed to be a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. And so wise fucking Sophie is like, "Well, give her something to fucking smile about. Earn it, bitch. Earn it." <laughs> And later when Marianne and Eloise are lying in bed remembering things about each other and Marianne says, I remember the first time you smiled. And Eloise says, yeah, you took your time being funny. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's and it's like, so those are both humorous good. moments, but it's like, why should a woman smile just to please you? Yeah. Yeah. Because, oh, because uh, subject object. But imagine when that's turned on its head. Right. And the movie, you know, again, like, embodies that. It's like Eloise doesn't smile until she has a reason to. Mm-hmm. And then she can't stop smiling. To the, and then she literally can't To the point stop that Marianne smiling. is like, you need to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be serious. I'm trying to paint you. Yeah. It's so wonderful. It's such an incredible, incredible fucking movie. Like, what a gift. 
especially now in like not only the plague but like just the last few years and how hard they've been on all of us who aren't necessarily looking to make america great again Mm -hmm. um what a gift this film is what a fucking gift it absolutely is it's 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 a perfect movie it's perfect it's perfect in so many ways and there's so much we haven't even like touched on you know like there's it rewards repeat viewing there's so much to dig into yeah (sighs) i I mean i love it i just honestly since this movie i've just had the most maybe the most fun i mean i loved doing our re-watching and doing our Gaylords episodes on The Brood and Picnic and Hanging Rock and all these wonderful movies. But I think my impulse is to just watch kind of garbagey movies <laughs> because this one has affected <laughs> me so much. Can anything say as much as this film? Can anything say as much? Like, I just need some time. Like, now that I'm not going to go back to the theater to see it, like, I know I'll calm down about it, I guess. But I'm like... Now I'm just like, well, I guess I'll watch Class Reunion Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I'm not going to be watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, Nail Gun Massacre. That should be good right no about now. there's no fingers and armpits, they better have extra thumbs. <laughs> exactly. If the fingers aren't getting crammed in armpits, they better get cut off <laughs> with a machete. With your with your little guillotine, your mini my, yes, your, my pocket guillotine, your pocket guillotine, which is not the same as a cigar cutter. Thank you. They're two right. two different products. <laughs> Stacy had hers custom made. That's right. Oh God, oh this movie. I can't wait. Well, to I'm s- glad that we. I'm glad we finally talked about it. Me too. I feel like if this does, like you said, we. They have so much more to talk about. I feel like this warrants future conversations. I know. All the, you know, all the gothic touches to it. My God. That vision of the woman. She fucking got all Wilkie Collins up in this bitch with that woman in white, like the being haunted by Eloise. There's goth and because, well, what, because what was that? Romance and goth and horror are all entangled. What? <laughs> Wait, there's witchcraft in this? What? There's art theory in this? What? Like, there is so much operating in this film, and yet in a film where there is so little dialogue. So little dialogue. And I just love that there is so little dialogue, and I love that Celine is such a fucking smart director that she will let scenes take as and moments take as long as they need to take. Mm-hmm. She will let it play out. Yeah. And it'll frequently be quiet or you, all you hear is like the pop of the logs in the fire. Yeah. You know, or the birds outside or whatever. And she just I think this movie assumes a certain intelligence of its audience. In a way that isn't like didactic and mm-hmm. preachy. Well, and I think it does that thing. I think given the history between Celine and Adele and... um given that this is to a degree their story uh not just i mean the story of them but also a story that they're making together like they're doing something really powerful that i I also think luca did with suspiria and i I think it's where a maker doesn't the 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 audience is the maker themselves 
Yes. So they are honoring their own intelligence and they're not dumbing it down. And they are saying something that they want to say because they believe in it and because they this is a dream project that they are making for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's always what the best work is. It's amazing how rare it is. Yeah, because we're told to do things that are expected of us. Of us. Right. But when you do something that you feel passionate about, I mean, I've stood by this with my art making the last few years. It's like when you do something that you're passionate about and you don't edit it for the expectations of what is what you think is, is desired of you, but what you desire of yourself, that is actually going to convey and stick with your audience. Mm-hmm. Because they will read that in you and how you'd make it. They will feel what you feel about it. And if they don't, then fuck them. <laughs> Yeah, fuck them. Make art that says it's not, something and it's that not matters. For it's not for you. And it's also about making <laughs> it with intentions that fall outside of the capitalist industrial complex, mm-hmm. right? Neither Portrait of a Lady on Fire or Suspiria, I feel confident in saying, were made with the idea that they were going to be box office blockbusters. Mm-hmm. They, weren't, they weren't making them to turn a buck. They were making them because they had to make these movies. Yeah. They had stories they had to tell, and they had art they needed to make. Mm-hmm. Just like the fucking women at the bonfire. Just like Sophie with her embroidery. Yeah. You know? Make your art. Yeah. I'm adapting to life as a brundle fly. <laughs> be gay. Be, be, be very gay. Be very gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's difficult at times. It's a good look on you. Thank you very much. I like that now you can wear so many different hats because of all the extra heads from the portrait painting bits that are attached to you. (laughs) It's true. I have heads everywhere. Now Now you're just also a hat model. It's great. Right. Well, it's a new life. Yeah, it's a good we we need to figure out the dipe situation for all your extra butts, but We'll get there yeah, in time. Yeah. I do appreciate we'll that you have there. seven crotch mirrors, however. <laughs> you know what that means. Seven crotch mirrors for seven crotches, right? Remember that old movie? <laughs> it's a musical, right? As you can tell, listeners, this is a true Gaylords of Darkness production. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just because it's not a horror movie doesn't mean we're not the Gaylords of Darkness. If this is your first to listen, I'm so sorry, but also I hope you learned something. I hope you felt yeah. a feeling. Um, we are going to keep up with Gaylords of Darkness, as always. Uh, we are going to also be doing these Gayster Peace Theaters whenever the fuck we feel like, whenever we feel moved. Yes, they will just appear. Gaylords of Darkness has new episodes every Wednesday. Yes. Um, and Gayster Peace Theater will just be under the Gaylords of Darkness banner. So if you only want these non-horror episodes that have no regular schedule, it's literally just whenever we feel compelled to talk about a movie. Um, subscribe to Gaylords of Darkness. Yes. And, and just like today, uh, they might just drop right into your feed and just be there. So exactly. just keep a little surprise looking for our little Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can subscribe. We're on all the podcast platforms, your Spotify's, your iTunes, your whatever the other ones are. I don't know. Um, or we're at GaylordsOfDarkness.com. You can listen to episodes there. 
We're on social medias, Instagram and Facebook. We're at Gaylords of Darkness or on Twitter. We're at Gaylords of D. And I think that's it. Hey, Stacy. Huh? Turn around. <gasps> I am cutting out that part. <laughs>us again some other time for another episode of Gaysterpiece Theatre